first I am going to introduce um, Kara, Kara Dansky. She's an attorney, public speaker, writer, and consultant who is committed to protecting the rights, privacy, and safety of women and girls on the basis of sex in law and throughout society. And she's the author of The Abolition of Sex on your screen. And Kara, um, please feel free to elaborate. That little blurb doesn't do your bio justice, but here she is. Thank you so much, Kim and Marshy, for the opportunity to talk. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Kara Dansky, and I serve as the current president of the US chapter of Women's Declaration International, which works to advance the, the global declaration on women's sex-based rights throughout the US at all levels of government. Um, Marshy sort of invited me to say a few more words about my biography. Um, WDI USA is a nonpartisan organization explicitly. And also I'm a lifelong Democrat and I support single sex sports for women and girls and always have and always will. And I'm happy to be here tonight. So I'm gonna do a brief history of Title IX. I'm gonna talk about the history of Title IX through the stories of the people who are responsible for its enactment. I will also talk a little bit about efforts to exempt women's sports from Title IX's coverage. I'll then finish with a few words about Women's Declaration International and why Title IX's prohibition of discrimination on the basis of sex as opposed to gender identity in education is consistent with what we refer to as the Declaration on Women's Sex-Based Rights. So <clears throat> Title IX, the basics. Although it is frequently associated with athletics today, Title IX, which amended the Higher Education Act, is not fundamentally about athletics. It is fundamentally about non-discrimination in the educational arena. It states, no person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. The initial legislative draft was authored by Representative Patsy Takamenko-Mink with the assistance of Representative Edith Green. It was then co-authored and introduced to Congress by Senator Birch Bayh in the US Senate and Congresswoman Patsy Mink in the House. So I wanna talk about the people who got Title IX done. The most important individual in this effort is Representative Patsy Takamento Mink. Patsy Matsumink was born on December 6, 1927, at a sugar plantation camp in Hawaii to descendants of Japanese immigrants. Patsy Takamato graduated as valedictorian of her high school in 1944. She eventually studied at the University of Nebraska, where she worked to abolish what were, at the time, legal, racial, segregation policies. 
she eventually enrolled in the University of Chicago Law School, where she met John Mink, who she married. They both graduated law school in 1951, had a daughter in 1952, and returned to Hawaii. Patsy Takemato Mink's story is a story about a woman's fierce refusal to accept the racist and sexist laws that tried to keep her in her place. Due to sexist laws that were in place in the 1950s, she lost her Hawaiian territorial residency when she married and she was denied the right to take the bar exam. She fought the law and won the right to take the bar exam and she passed it. However, because she was married and had a child, no law firm would hire her. So she established her own law practice. She eventually won a seat on the Hawaiian Territorial House of Representatives, becoming the first Japanese American woman to do so. Two years later, she became the first woman to serve in the Territorial Senate. She spoke in favor of civil rights at the 1960 Democratic National Convention, and she earned a seat in the U.S. House of Representatives in 1964. She served a total of 12 terms in Congress. While there, she introduced the first comprehensive initiatives under the Early Childhood Education Act, and she worked on the Elementary and Secondary Education Act of 1965. And finally, in 1972, she co-authored the Title IX Amendment to the Higher Education Act. Title IX was eventually renamed the Patsy Takamato Mink Equal Opportunity in Education Act following Mink's death in 2002. So today, although we refer to the law as Title IX, which is accurate, the law is technically called the Patsy Takamato Mink Equal Opportunity in Education Act in her memory. And I think that that's really important to remember her. I'll briefly mention two other people who were responsible for Title IX, but I wanted to go into some detail about the life of Patsy Takamato Mink because of her steadfast refusal to yield to the sexist and racist legal regime that worked hard to impede her progress. Edith Green was a member of the House of Representatives from Oregon. Early on in her life, she was advised not to pursue a career in electrical engineering because she was a woman. When she was eventually elected to serve in the House of Representatives, she went about improving educational opportunities for women and girls. She was largely responsible for the enactment of the Equal Pay Act of 1963. And while she was pleased by the passage of the bill, she was annoyed that it took eight years to persuade Congress that a woman doing identical work with a man ought to be paid the same salary. When Title IX was introduced in the House, Green was serving as chair of the subcommittee on higher education of the Education and Labor Committee. She presided over seven days of hearings on the bill. At the outset, she proclaimed, let us not deceive ourselves. Our educational institutions have proven 
to be no bastions of democracy. Later, reflecting on the passage of Title IX, she said, I don't know when I have ever been so pleased because I worked so long and it had been such a tough battle. That's a little bit particularly moving for me because that's the same year that I was born. Green chose not to seek reelection in 1974 and went on to teach in Oregon. She died in 1987. In 1940, a 12-year-old boy named Birch Bai asked his father a question. His father was the superintendent of the Washington, D.C. public school system and was scheduled to testify before Congress. He asked his father, what are you going to tell them? His father's response was, I'm going to tell them that little girls need strong bodies to carry their minds around just as much as little boys do. Just over 30 years later, he would go on to introduce Title IX in the United States Senate, while his colleagues, Patsy Mink and Edith Green, introduced it in the House of Representatives. Birch Bay served as a U.S. Senator from Indiana between 1963 and 1981. He died in 2019 at the age of 91. Okay, now I'm gonna talk about some threats to the protection of women's sports. As I mentioned earlier, Title IX is not specifically about athletics. It's about non-discrimination on the basis of sex in education, generally, because before it was enacted, women and girls in the US had faced centuries of discrimination throughout the educational arena, including Patsy Mink which is why she introduced the bill. The reason that this is significant is that one Senator at the time who opposed Title IX introduced an amendment that would have exempted athletics from its provisions. What this means in effect is that a law that has come to be synonymous with protecting women's sports came very close to not protecting women's sports at all. John Tower was born in 1925 in Houston, Texas. Early on in his life and career, he was a traditional Southern Democrat, though he switched to the Republican Party at some point in the early 1950s. As a senator, he opposed the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965, both of which were, of course, designed to remedy centuries of discrimination on the basis of race, in public accommodations and in voting, respectively. He also opposed Title IX. In 1974, John Tower introduced the Tower Amendment, which would have exempted revenue-producing sports from Title IX compliance. Now, Fortunately for female athletes, Congress rejected the Tower Amendments and passed an amendment proposed by U.S. Senator Jacob Javits directing 
the Department of Health and Human Services to provide reasonable provisions considering the nature of particular sports adopted in its place. Women's sports were again threatened in the 1984 case of Grove City versus Bell, where the US Supreme Court ruled that Title IX affected only programs that directly received federal assistance, which effectively eliminated the law's applicability to athletics programs. However, in 1988, the Civil Rights Restoration Act overrode that, preserving women's sports. Okay, so to the regulations. In enacting Title IX, Congress was clear that the elimination of discrimination on the basis of sex in the educational arena was not intended to eliminate sex-segregated sports or spaces. The congressional record clearly states of the law's regulations that the regulations, quote, would allow enforcing agencies to permit differential treatment by sex only, such as in classes for pregnant girls or emotionally disturbed students in sports facilities or other instances where personal privacy must be preserved. This is clear in the Department of Health, Privacy, Education and Welfare regulations, which went on to explicitly state that the maintenance of sex specificity is important regard, and, and it didn't mention gender identity. None of this was real in 1972 or in 1973. Of course, all of that is under threat today. In January 2021, on the first day of taking office, President Biden announced Executive Order 13988, preventing and combating discrimination on the basis of gender identity and sexual orientation. This order required federal agencies to redefine sex to include the nebulous concept of gender identity throughout federal administrative law and agencies did so. The Departments of Justice, Education, Housing and Urban Development and Health and Human Services all issued memos and guidance documents ordering all recipients of federal funding to redefine sex to include gender identity in a manner that would inevitably harm women and girls by denying the material reality of sex. The administration did all of this without providing any notice to the public or opportunity for public comment. And I would argue that it did so in violation of existing federal procedural law. Happily, a federal court recently agreed and blocked the memos and guidance documents from going to effect in 20 states. And that case is currently on appeal. I'm gonna skip ahead and go to what Candace has to say and possibly come back um, to some other ideas. But I just wanna say, the Declaration on Women's Sex-Based Rights is a global declaration that seeks to enshrine the category of sex as opposed to gender identity throughout law policy, and society. It consists of nine articles 
which include definitions of the words women and girls, and the protection of women's right to exist as a coherent legal category, the rights of mothers, the rights of women to reproductive integrity, the elimination of violence against women, and other legal rights, such as the right to speak, assemble, and participate in politics and government as women. Article 7 of the Declaration states, to ensure fairness and safety for women and girls, the entry of boys and men who claim to have female gender identities into teams, competitions, facilities, or changing rooms, among other things, set aside for women and girls, should be prohibited as a form of sex discrimination. Anyone who wishes to learn more about the Declaration on Women's Sex-Based Rights can view it online at www.womensdeclaration.com and you can check out the U.S. chapter at www.womensdeclarationusa.com. Thanks so much. I'm looking forward to the rest of the discussion. I want to hear what Candace has to say, and I've got a few other things that I didn't say that we could go back to if we'd like to, but I think I've spoken enough for now. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kara. And for those of you that don't know, Kara is working on another book right now, and we are really excited uh, to see that when it finally comes out. And any of you who want to see um, or follow her writing, she has a wonderful uh, Substack that she publishes on and emails out regularly. Just look up Kara Dansky at Substack, please. <laughs> She's a great writer. Thanks, Kara.